When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. Hello, I'm Sarah Hughes, Chief Executive from the Centre for Mental Health. And Sarah, we're sitting here trying to be really techy and uh, <laughs> learning how to do remote podcasting in this new world of remote working, thanks to COVID-19. Um, we'll get back onto that in a minute, but could you tell me um, exactly what the Centre for Mental Health does and what it's set up to achieve? Okay, so the Centre for Mental Health is a not-for-profit think tank. And we focus on mental health, but we really do that through a social justice lens. We're really interested in people's lives across the life course. So uh, children, young people right through to uh, over 65s. And our work really involves research, uh, analysis of what's going on in the world. And we formulate advice for services uh, that might want to think about how they're delivering services. We advise policymakers like the government on uh, the best decisions they can make for people experiencing mental illness. And we also work with lots of different partners uh, in business and uh, in public services to help them do their mental health thinking as well. And we've been around for about 40 years uh, doing this and have been uh, kind of at the heart of some of the biggest changes in mental health, uh, certainly in the UK, uh, over the last 20 years. And is is the work based just in the UK or do you have a global reach as well? Uh, We do have a global reach. Uh, I love that word global. It makes it sound much more (laughs) interesting. But yes, we do. So we we, uh, deliver quite a lot of our employment support work uh, abroad and and certainly we've worked in Europe, uh, we've worked in the US and you know we absolutely had plans uh, funnily enough before this uh, crisis to work in Africa so we you know that may very well continue when it's safe to do so Um, and we're part of a a global uh, mental health leadership network that that really helps various areas develop their own mental health thinking, sharing ideas, pooling ideas, um, various health leaders network. And and so uh, one of the things that we're really interested now, I guess, as we're approaching probably the biggest challenge of of our time and uh, many years past, is really how that global network will uh, rise to to the surface and, and start helping people with their mental health around the world, which is absolutely suffering right now. 
And you yourself have been in self-isolation with your children for the last 14 days, is that right? Yes, I have. <laughs> How is your mental There's, health? My mental health is, um, is probably as good as it can be. And that's probably because I have... I have spent quite a lot of time making sure that I'm connected to friends and family. So a lot of uh, FaceTime, a lot of uh, messages back and forth saying, oh, dear God, did you watch the news? Um, you know, what what homework are you going to use, etc." So those peer networks have definitely been helpful. But, you know, I, I was just I just tweeted something about we had our second online digital team meeting today with with my team and there's you know, just over 20 of us and we had a we had a great successful meeting on Tuesday the first time we used the technology and it went really well and Can we have some platform you used we used uh, MS Teams okay good I had that earlier to meet with my team and I was the only person who ended up on mute for the whole meeting <laughs> And I slightly wondered whether that had been done on purpose. Yes, yeah. Can we do that remotely, I wonder? Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly MS Teams worked for us. And I think um, what we're seeing is a surge of using these platforms, which means they can be get a bit wobbly. But but our first one was really buoyant. And, you know, we were sort of laughing and, and joking. And today, just two days later, um, we were much more pensive and reflective. And, you know, people starting to think, well, you know, this is... For some people, day two of social distancing, um, some of them aren't even in isolation, if you like, and and already starting to think, you know, their mood is dropping. Um, they're now having to really work hard at staying motivated. So, you know, a deterioration in mood and feelings can happen really quickly. What little things did you put into place for yourself? Because you were just properly in the house, weren't you? You weren't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, we were isolated. Yeah. I mean, well, well, I think it was really important to have that kind of routine. So very quickly, um, it became clear to us in our household that we couldn't just behave like we were on the Easter holidays, that we actually had to get up, you know, do the things that we would usually do before we would be leaving the house, a really clear routine. So, you know, very much getting up, having a shower, you know, doing all of those practical things, you know, actually trying to have some together time. So breakfast and, and roaming about and asking what we're going to do for the day. Initially, we didn't want the children to focus too much on schoolwork because we, I knew and suspected um, a couple of weeks ago that they probably were not going to go back to school um just because of the trajectory of, of the way it was going and therefore decided that we were going to really embark on the homeschooling process when the schools were ready to give that mm. so the kids have had a, a flexible time me and their dad have definitely spent um times negotiating breaks and yeah. um you know time out because you know this is this is scary we've also made sure that they're not watching the news very much so um certainly we've not wanted them to watch the um uh, you know broadcasts that the prime minister has done or whatever because you don't know what he's going to say and we yeah. want to translate that for the children in our language really because i'm certainly someone who has the news on 24/7 and i've got younger children and actually i need to be careful of that and the other thing that we're all joking about at the minute but I already know we have to be careful of is gosh you're going to need to have a lot of wine to get through the next few months and it's like keeping that in check as well is always yeah, yeah. sort of being mindful of that which I which I always am but 
already I can sort of feel myself thinking, God, I really feel like a glass of wine tonight and I need a night off. Absolutely. And I think all of these things are going to become more and more important as we go on over the next few weeks, because I think, you know, the news thing has been quite important and, you know, making sure that the kids know the truth of the situation, but that, that, you know, that it's also in hand to a degree. I think, um, you know, not, drinking and using those things as a crutch is going to be really difficult for people but like you say it's the vernacular that we use around this you know are we you know how are we talking about coping actually what will our language around coping be and at the moment I think humor is quite important and I, I saw a meme that said you know um, I'm 30 minutes into homeschooling my children and so from now on teachers should be paid one million pounds a year yeah and, um, you know I totally am with that totally and so, so humor is important and and critical and that's a, that's actually a big coping mechanism for me just as a human being I I laugh in the most darkest of circumstances um and that's the only way that sometimes I can elevate my own mood um so there's been a lot of that uh you spoke earlier actually when we were talking before about journaling and writing things and I think that's also so I write blogs so I've been writing a blog about um compassionate leadership during a period of crisis also you know we can forget that or not realize we're going through something that we'll look back on and wish we'd probably written something down about about our own experiences because we'll probably forget the most part of it and how our moods were you know to begin with I was finding it a bit surreal one minute I thought it was you know well it's, it's not too dramatic and then the next minute I'd be like this is really dramatic and then for the first time yesterday I actually felt a bit wobbly and sort of was coming close to tears um every two hours or so and so it's really it, I think it'll be interesting to be able to you know, look back on that and have a record of it. And I've been, I, I think that's exactly right. And I, I was, I, I did, um, I've been doing some Instagram stories to try and sort of engage people at different levels. And um, one of the things that I was saying yesterday was it reminds me of being in grief. And you know, the first sort of few days after someone you love dies there is quite a lot of adrenaline you know you're really you're you're trying to your body goes into coping your mind goes into survival the adrenaline is high you're doing doing you're you're trying to make sense of it and actually the the kind of mood and the reality of the situation comes a few days later so I think that what's happening to some people is is that we're all experiencing this at different times. Yeah. So for me, I've I've sort of gone past the shock partly because I've been in isolation for a lot longer. Um, and so the point that I'm I'm at now is a sort of um, acceptance, acceptance, yeah, acceptance, and trying to think about well, okay, this is going to be twelve weeks. Um, I'm in a privileged position for, you know, I've got a great employer. Um, I've got, um, I can still work from home. I've got a great team. I've got my family in a house with me. So, so whilst I'm very grateful for that, I'm also going to be very realistic about what challenges I'm going to face. And so instead of waiting for them to hit me in the face, I'm going to start really pinning them down. What exactly is going to be a problem for me? And we're going to have to do that as a, as a family, as a whole, really, I think. Really be honest about it. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, being honest about things, that's a, there's a sort of fine line, isn't there, of um, who can be told what information at what stage. And I guess it's different with young children compared to sort of talking to older people, but, you know, some of the older people who are having to be completely isolated and potentially having quite serious thoughts about some logistics that might have to come into play but um without getting too dark because this is a podcast and if people are listening to this at a time of self-isolation it should also be educational so i wanted to ask you your views on the recent budget which obviously came as soon as this sort of virus was breaking out yes i mean obviously you know i think it is really important that if people are listening that they do um get to the end of this podcast and feel a bit of hope so um <laughs> just to just to say that you know i think i think we will we will survive this um as a nation i think we will have some challenges post the crisis um to do with our mental health in a big way um but i also feel um optimistic about what some of that will do to our community um you know the the, the kind of opportunities it will afford us in relation to developing relationships again you know forging yeah. those community ties so um Completely. things are already happening um, yeah i was gonna say even in our community you know suddenly a whatsapp group has been set up we're trying to work out you know where the vulnerable people are um who are the people we can help how can we help them who should help them um and that's brilliant and you think god it's really sad it's taken a pandemic for us to be this nice to each other. I know, but we've got to, and one of the things that I always hear in these situations is we've got to kind of look for the helpers and there's helpers everywhere. You know, they are literally everywhere. And and sometimes it's not just practical help, but emotional help too. So, I mean, just, and, and therefore going back to the budget, actually, you know, one of the things that we felt were, was very positive about the budget is that, there, you know, there continues to be a commitment to the NHS long-term plan. Um, and there was some very good stuff in there about really understanding the pressures of, um, access to services, etc. I guess what we would say is that mental health didn't really appear, you know, it didn't have a kind of primary focus in the budget this year. And for all sorts of reasons, we can understand why, partly because of previous year commitment, but also the virus did overtake. I guess um, the bit that we continue to be concerned about, and everybody is concerned about, is the lack of commitment to social care. And, and that's partly because we still think that there is a deep lack of understanding uh, with central government about where mental health and social care collide. And, you know, there is an understanding certainly that needs to be had that, that people with mental illness are in receipt of social care services and they, that can be in their home, that can be in their communities. Um, but if we if we're not if we don't know about them, we don't prioritise them, then we're not going to invest in them. And so that's basically what's happening. A lack of understanding means that the investment isn't there. And at this moment in time, it is presenting a particular uh, challenge um, for people in the community. So I think that's problematic. I think the budget um, was very crisis driven. And, you know, certainly we hope to see in the spending review a much more kind of 
long term view look at things like social housing um things like social care but education so we're really thinking about a, a kind of whole school reform in education um particularly around emotional well-being but you know ultimately none of that really featured very highly um this time round but we hope that that will be attended to in the spending review yeah, and there might be more of a sort of focus on it after we come out of this period for obvious reasons. Um, and I was also going, also going to ask you um, how you found being the chief executive of a charitable organisation during this time and the, the burden that you might feel, because, of course, just to get serious again for a moment, it's, you know, the charitable world is all quite hands-to-mouth, let's be honest, yet mm. we fulfill some exceptionally important roles in society and so many of us do work on the front line and are frontline workers um, but aren't recognized as such. Mm. I, I mean I think this is you know a, a critical sort of almost a tipping point for our um, society really and for the government level of understanding about how important charities are and so at the moment, there's lots of work being done by my colleagues in civil society trying to help the government understand. So we've got we've got charities that are ranging from providing grassroots community support, you know, really closely aligned with their schools, their churches, up to massive charities that are delivering services that are um, usually delivered by the NHS or usually delivered by public services. So we've got all of those different charities and all of them are struggling as we speak and struggling for different reasons. But but there are issues around things like cash flow. There are issues around things like, um, you know, how do they access, um, you know, funds now, contract management, workforce issues, training to deliver different services. I mean, the list that, I mean, there is a massive list. And if you go on social media for five minutes and just kind of look at what the charity sector is saying, you'll come away thinking, oh my God, how do we even begin to resolve some of those? So there is a real kind of plea to the government to pay attention to that now. Also, you know, you know, our charity, we're very fortunate in that we've got a good reserves cushion, but you know, it's not a bottomless pit. So, you know, we are facing a sort of scenario where we're going to have to wipe out the first six months of our um, financial year. And that means, you know, we'll still have a full year's of, uh, worth of expenditure, but probably only half a year's worth of income. So the reality is stark, actually. And there are some charities right now that are having to negotiate with the um, HMRC about can they delay their tax bill on the wages that they need to pay next week because actually they don't have enough cash. And what would your advice be to funders because me myself I'm a funder yes I run my own charitable organisation um, so how what would your advice be to funders? I mean what we've seen from funders um, generally has been an extraordinary outpouring of support so we've had L the london funders for instance come out and say look charities that we fund we're right behind you we um are going to kind of lift the emphasis on 
targets and deadlines what we want you to do is we want you to do what you do we want you to help our society get through this and we're you know we're right behind you um the lot the lottery have said that comic relief have said that so so it's about if you're funding a charity i guess it's about negotiating with them what's going to be possible and what isn't yeah and you know understanding what risks that they might be facing so for instance in our situation, quite a lot of it is about negotiating deadlines. So that's fairly straightforward. But in some instances, it's being able to go to a funder and say, I was due to do this piece of work. I can't now do it. Can I do something else that's equally valuable, but you hadn't perhaps, you know, we hadn't considered it at the time. So, so communication is key. Communication, yeah. Effectively, you know, what opportunities can we look at now and being quite solution focused? Um, because one of the things that I, I was interested from the PM's speech, and it's all about language, and I know, Edwina, you're, you've got a thing about language too, but that, that sort of, um, you know, he said, this, this, is, this is, our financial package will be really good for good businesses. So what does good businesses look like? Yeah. And therefore, I wonder whether that will come to what do good charities look like? So... You know, for charities who in the main struggle financially, um, are they going to be considered not to be good and therefore warrant financial help? Um, so all of that does need to be clarified. And certainly for the charity sector, it's not clear at the moment at all. So some funders are definitely making their own decisions about yeah. what they're going to do, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Um, I'm yeah. going to apologise to listeners if there's any crackles on the line. But no, sorry. Uh, Sarah, well done. You've been my first guinea pig with an online podcast. So yay! <laughs> okay, um, cool. we'll see how it turns out. But thank you so much for your insights. And maybe as we go through the next few months, we can chat again and see how things are unfolding in the world um, of mental health. Because, you know, the Centre for Mental Health is right at the heart of it, so I know. So yeah. Yeah. thank you. Thank okay. you for the wisdom and uh, stay well. And you. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is co-produced for One Small Thing by the London Podcast Company and Pencil Agency. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.